Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mike episode number three. I am Shane Page, Director of Evangelization here at St. Michael Gastonia. We are with, once again, Father Rossi, the pastor here at St. Michael. Uh, Father, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it was a great last couple of weeks. So it's been two weeks since we did a podcast. Yeah. And yeah. between that last time. It was Holy Week, wasn't it? It was Holy okay. Week. And we had a beautiful Easter vigil mass. We did. The best I've ever seen in my life. Twelve years of priest this, this June and... Phenomenal. It was phenomenal. We we brought thirteen people into full communion with the yes, Catholic Church, and and that was my first Easter vigil. So really quickly, you just said it was the best ever. Why? I mean, what what about it struck you? Well, I think that it's such a, a powerful liturgy. You know, only doing this once a year, and it's always moving to to process in following the Paschal candle in the dark church. You know, when there's just no light except the Paschal candle, the flame of Christ. Uh, leading us into the darkness, really through the darkness. And, you know, the church really breaks open everything she has, you know, that evening. You know, we have almost uh, 45 minutes of Scripture readings from the Old Testament just walking us through salvation history. Um, you know, then, you know, the, the Gloria, the lights and the candles coming on and being lit. Um, just the church beginning to just, you know, just rise up through the darkness is what is happening. You know, just she just seems to join in liturgy and ritual uh, the resurrection like it's just a resurrection liturgy you know everything comes back the the lights the, the you know the decorations the, the statues are unveiled the, the alleluia is sung the gloria the bells incense um, you know from the stark reality of good friday just the day before when everything's just completely bare and desolate um, and then of course just it, everything culminates uh, with the the baptisms, the confirmations, and the First Communion, you know, and bringing everybody to the church. And it's it was very moving to baptize this this Easter vigil uh, than years past. Just so many. Uh, and I think you and I have worked hard teaming up together to make sure that we've prepared our catechumens and candidates well and uh, through prayer and through just the consistency of, of them meeting together and us doing the uh, scrutinies and just all those little liturgical signposts for them throughout Lent. Um, I just think that it was the, the vigil was also very fruitful because we had really prepared uh, for several months prior to uh, the vigil and that the, it really was a culmination um, of everything that we'd worked for and just to see people become brought into the, the family of God, into the faith, and that I'm the humble servant, the pastor who is doing it, you know, uh, Jesus is working through me and just to see the, you know, that yes, I'm the pastor, I'm baptizing and confirming them and giving them Holy Communion, um, that uh, you really feel like a father and a shepherd, you know. Um, I think a, a moving moment really is no pun intended, but when they're literally moving through the, the nave of the church with the catechumens and the, the paschal candle, and we did that procession with them throughout the church, everybody just kind of seeing them, you know, process to the baptismal font. Uh, for that that great moment that you know they're about to enter life in Christ, so that was just amazing. I've, I've told people, I told uh, Father that it took me about three days to recover from just the vigil mass itself in the best possible sense of the word. I I went home and never slept that night, maybe an hour, and I just kept replaying in my mind scenes from that mass, like when the lights came on. And how I have described it, for lack of a better description, is it was almost like a form of trauma, but in the best 
sense of that word. Right. Like I've been in a car accident before and you continue to replay the loop. It's called looping. Mm-hmm. And I just kept looping it because it was just so glorious and, and to be a part of that was magnificent. And, um, and what I'm, a lot of people think that that was my second Easter vigil that I, I came in last year. Not no. my first one. Yeah. I came into full communion in, in May, May 31st during a daily mass, mm-hmm. and so it was just glorious in every way. Uh, let me let me ask you this: you know, all this build up toward Easter. I used to be a pastor, and do you find Easter to be a hard day to preach, to really capture the? splendor of the day. Yes. How do you feel about that? Because it, I always struggled yeah. with it. It's difficult. Uh, it's also difficult because it's a very long week. Holy Week is from Palm Sunday on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, the vigil. You know, there's just long but beautiful and impactful liturgies and rituals that are going on. Um, and so it's, it is a challenge to keep, you know, uh, to I keep asking the Holy Spirit, you know, to give me words, you know, to, and yeah. you don't necessarily want to go ex- long in the midst of long liturgies, you know, so I mean, it, it is it is more brief, I think. So that that's a different uh, reality. And Easter Sunday, you're just exhausted because you know you go home after the vigil, and it's you know you're just not getting to bed till one thirty or two. Because I mean, you're just so charged mm-hmm. up. And um, just a side note: thanks be to God for our seminarians, uh, Ronan Ostendorf and Andrew Templeton, who are the MCs. Um, Andrew Templeton has uh, been doing this for some years, but these guys, you've got to have MCs to make a, a great vigil. And we had them. And the, 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 why everything fit together, you have to have MCs that, that know what they're doing. I mean, there's no way I could do that without good MCs and great servers, and we have both. So just so grateful for that. But you're exhausted, and you're going home, and you're excited. It's Easter, you know, and you're celebrating and just talking about how well everything went. Um, there was just so much excitement at the end of the vigil, so you just can't go to sleep. You're, you're just charged up. But then 7.30 a.m., Mass comes quickly, and um, it is hard to, you know, try to recapture the resurrection, and there are a lot of people there that, you know, maybe weren't there for the uh, Holy Week. So their Palm Sunday was their last Sunday, and now that's Easter Sunday, and it's like, well, happy Easter Sunday to Right, everyone. you went from the You know, parade, so, yeah, uh, and the, the church gives to... us, the church gives us an interesting Every Easter Sunday, it's always the <coughs> the empty tomb, you know. So I mean, nobody. There's never. There's no gospel for Easter Sunday morning where they encounter the risen Jesus. Right. You know, there's no encountering him. They're, now they're, they're, they'll get that through the octave because the guy. You know, it's really important to read the gospels, the whole octave, the whole eight days of the Easter season. Because what happens is, is that you get all those little those little moments of the resurrection, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus encountering Mary Magdalene, the apostles, road to Emmaus and all that. Uh, but it's hard because uh, there's no there's no experience, you know, in the sense of, you know, oh, I know someone who resurrected, you know, or I, you know, it's just, it's hard to tap into the reality of the resurrection in our, in our fallen nature because we don't yet understand. But we take consolation in the gospel for Easter Sunday because they didn't understand either. That's right. They did not yeah. know what it, it said. The last line is they did not yet understand, uh, you know, uh, that he had to rise from the dead. Right. So or or in Mark's confused. gospel, yeah. the women just flee from the tomb yeah. and they so, went away and said nothing to anyone because right. they were afraid. So there's a lot the of confusion. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of confusion. Yeah. You know, this Easter Sunday focused on the empty tomb and what, you know, we say the empty tomb, but was it really empty? You know, and that was a, a thought I saw from a commentary, just that, was it empty? Well, no, it was empty of his body, 
Yes. But what was in there were the burial cloths. Mm-hmm. And what John saw and what Peter saw was something, um, and if you read John's gospel account carefully, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I think you said in the homily, you know, like Jesus like got up out of bed, like you get up in the morning, oh, you throw right, off your right. covers and they're on the floor. And it's like, you go in there and go, well, I guess he's gone. You know, look, he's, the bed's still unmade, you know, or something like mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. um, it's like, no, he resurrected through the burial clause, you know, that the claws were still there. It, it, it makes no sense to think about uh, the theft of the corpse because of the way they found things and the way that, you know, you have to understand how they buried people. Well, well the theft of the corpse is exactly what the uh, Jewish authorities wanted right. to spread. Of course, that would be the natural thing yeah. that you would, you would think, but uh, the disciples all insisted that wasn't the case. I also think in John's gospel, isn't it that in the empty tomb, when they looked in, there was two angels was it Mary Magdalene who saw two angels, uh, one at either end and the burial clause in the center, which is a recollection of the mercy seat, the ark? You know, oh. where, where, you know where the, between the two angels, there was that space mm-hmm. that is to declare the divine presence and that the resurrected Christ. Um, oh, that's a great connection. I thought yeah. about that. Yeah, that's um, is that it's I. Is that later in John's gospel then? Yeah, I think it's I think it's when Mary is alone <coughs> or, and, and after the Lord has appeared, right before He's appeared. I, I, since we're just having a conversation, I did not look that up before we left. But I know that there is that scene where there are two angels right. in the tomb. The burial claws are yeah. there, and that's as if it's the mercy seat. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Um, I think we're just. I try to invite people just into a, a stepping forward in faith. You know that that um, the, the empty tomb, as it is, challenges all of us. Challenges the apostles. You know that. Um, what are we gonna? How are we gonna respond to this? And that's you what know, I want to. Is it a nice story that we were that we're told that the you know we just sort of sort of accept that he rose from the dead and do we understand what that even really means? You know that um, that means no, there is no body of Jesus that you're going to f- find, right? Like oh, they, you know they buried someplace else, you know, or something like that. That and and even if somebody comes out and says we found, it's like it, it's not no. You can't, it's not possible. Well, it's, I mean, that's what I want us to talk about today is one of my great challenges when I used to uh, preach is how to preach in such a way that Easter means what it meant to the first disciples because I have noticed over the years that we have reduced the resurrection simply to mean there's life after death mm. and I get to go to heaven when I die. And yet for the disciples... In uh, the Jews of the first century, it was so multifaceted that the that the, that the resurrection had far-reaching implications about what it meant. So, what I thought we would do for the next few minutes is, is talk about a few of those things. And it's almost like turning a gym. You know, there's not like one definitive answer of what the meaning of, the, of Easter would have been for the disciples. You just turn this gym, and all of a sudden, you see new light here. But uh, a couple of things. Well, I, well, we'll talk about maybe four things that it meant. The first one I want us to talk about how Easter would have struck the disciples and what it meant for them really comes from Romans, the first chapter in verse four. Paul says that the resurrection declared Jesus to be the son of God. It was God's declaration that Jesus was the son of God. Tell me, let's talk a little bit about what that means from the divine standpoint, from the biblical standpoint, but it was, number one, according to Paul, a declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, if he, 
he would have it validates the resurrection and validates the identity as the son of God who can come back from the dead right. of his own power right. and that power of course was um, teased in, a, in the prelude of the raising of Lazarus out of the tomb you know that that of course wasn't resurrection but um, that uh, who can do that mm-hmm. you know and Jesus did that right so it really it should have really prompted that faith that he, you know, if I can bring someone back from the dead, who's been dead for four days, I'm going to come back. Yes, by, we, by the power of the Spirit, you know that that God Himself and His own power will defeat death without any help. You know, I guess you could say yeah. no outside power of Him. And I think it it, it, it certainly validates His divinity, you yeah. know, the, the divine nature, um, because only God can create and bring uh, something out of nothing how he was created. And I also think there's a connection there that the Son of God goes back to Adam. Because if you really think about Genesis' story, the first Son of God would have been Adam. Right. And how the resurrection really declares Jesus to be a new Adam. And Paul really actually gets into that that kind of language a little later on in his gospel, as if the declaration was the beginning, and we'll get back to this, the beginning of a new creation. Like there's going to be a new humanity formed from this risen Jesus, and he's going to be the head. As mm-hmm. Adam was the head of the old creation, Jesus will be the head of a new humanity, and we will be a part of his members. But I find that so interesting that Paul does not say that the resurrection declared that there's life after death. It was, number one, God's vindication, his declaration that Jesus really was who he said he Correct. was. It was his validation of being the divine son of God. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned, I think, um, you know, my head was a little off from fatigue on Easter Sunday, but at one Mass, I think I said, you know, if this is just a story, then everybody here would have been better off staying home and getting a few extra hours of sleep. I mean, it's absolutely insane to be a Christian if you do not believe in the resurrection. Exactly. There's absolutely no point to any of it, you know, and it's a total waste of time. Um, if he didn't rise, I mean, and it's not just we accept that, you know, the tomb's empty, but I'm not really sure like what Jesus really did, or you know, because if he's not if he's not raised, and Paul says that, I don't know where that is, but you know, then our faith is in vain. Uh, he says that in First Corinthians 15, yeah. and that is a, a direct contradiction to a lot of people who will say, well, and I've heard this before. Well, even if Jesus was not really raised from the dead. Christianity is still a good moral religious system. No. But that's not what Paul would yeah. say. He said, look, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are of all people the most to be pitied. Mm-hmm. And I am a liar. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically, that, 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 that means Christianity is a total hoax, and you are absolutely right. It'd be better off to stay at home, go find something else yeah. to do. Anything, you know. Uh, I have a question, though. Um, so, I mean, there is... I think at Christianity we think the resurrection is a new word because of Christ rising from the dead, or that that term is new to, is is a Christian term. Mm-hmm. But did not the that's the Old Testament the the Jewish people believed in resurrection? They they you did know? yes they they did Ezekiel certainly prophesied that it would happen. God said that I will open your graves right. and, and have you rise. So from the them. talking about resurrection was going on for centuries. So this isn't. It wasn't like a new word, a new terminology. Well, that's why the resurrection for the first apostles meant so much more than there's life after death. And since we're on it, because I had it a little bit later down on my list, but the resurrection means and would have meant that the new creation project 
that God had promised is now coming to fruition. The new Genesis is happening. The world that God wanted to create without death has now infiltrated our space and has opened up a new space in which we can live as new creation people. And you really see this in John's gospel, the, the resurrection narrative, because you know how Mary mistakes the risen Christ for the gardener? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. They're in a garden. You got a man and you got a woman, and the man mm. is mistaken for the gardener. Well, that's a that recalls Genesis chapter two because Adam was formed to be a gardener, right. and so uh, it yeah, really yeah. meant Tillers it's a world. new world now coming to be because God said, "I will destroy death. Sin and death are like vandals; they 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 have terrorized my creation." And God begins to promise through the prophets, "I'm going to recreate the world. There's going to be a new world that's going to come to birth." And it's come out of the old worlds. So now Easter is the launch. It is the very beginning of this. I like yeah. that, the launch. So it really is better to say instead of life after death, you know, it's really, it's really a world without death, a new world without death. That's, that's, what, that's what the resurrection really is. It's not just, you know, do you believe in life after death and what does that mean? And are you going to come back as a bird or a plane or, a, you know, a whatever, you come back younger or come back, you know, it's just... That's not that's limited in the way that we're looking at it. It's like you know this is this is the human this is the new humanity because Christ is human and divine, so he is the first human to rise from, from the, the dead, dead to have right. the resurrection, uh, and that this is meant for each human person, and that um, we're going to rise from the dead, whether we end up in heaven or hell. Right. It's irrelevant because the resurrection is going to hit every human person that's ever been created and existed that our bodies and, you know, people say, well, how can God do that? How can he, you know, if you're cremated or we lost the body or it was an accident, tragedy, you know, there was no body we never found. But, okay, you know, God created the world out of nothing. He can take our earthly remains and elements as, you know, as he can. And, and but we're coming back. You know, the body is going to be there. Right. When we say so we you can't say the we're body. not going to, those two people are going to be without bodies. You're yep. going to have your body. Period. When we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, that does not mean we believe the soul goes to heaven when we die. It means that God will raise our bodies. Now, and what that's the, a, you said Ezekiel though, and that actually goes. Isn't that Ezekiel? I open your graves. I will open your graves and have them. you rise from them. That was the uh, first reading on the fifth Sunday of Lent too, isn't it? For it was. Lazarus. Yeah, it that was. was really good. But what the uh, what the apostles really expected, and it was predominant among Pharisaical Judaism. Um, is that they expected a general resurrection, that when the new creation, when God was going to create this new Genesis, um, that there was going to be a general resurrection, all the faithful would rise from the dead bodily, bodily from the dead. But what what happened to Jesus is that only one man has been raised bodily from the dead. And so Paul and the early apostles really had to go back to Torah and say, well, wait a minute, what does this mean? We've been looking for a general resurrection for the new world to come into being uh, for everyone, and yet it's only happened to one. And so that's why you see Paul using language in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the first fruit of those who have died. He is the, okay. He's the first one to rise. Yeah. Well, therefore, we know since one has been raised, more are yet to come, but that will happen in time. But the first fruit has happened. It has blossomed out of the grave. That means the new creation is here. It has started. It's just not fully here yet. And so that's why you're already not yet. It's the already not yet. Yeah, we're we're sort of in between the old and the new. 
And so the early church used this language of dawn. You know, if you think of dawn, it's a little bit of darkness, but a little bit of light. So you got the night of the old blended in with the light of the coming new day. And that Jesus's uh, resurrection was the inauguration of the dawn of that new world. And that's why Paul, throughout his letters, tries to tell his people over and over again, stop living as if sin and death are still in power. Stop living among these categories, these divisions, these schisms, this immorality, the sexual promiscuity. That's the stuff of the old world. That's on the way out. You've got to live as though the new is already here because that's what's going to come fully in. And you want to be ready for it when it d dawns in full. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that is. I like that uh, analogy. So know. it's not about going to heaven because if you take the Bible seriously, heaven's coming to earth according to Revelation. And God will dwell among human beings in Revelation yeah. 21. So, well, And that's what we say in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth mm -hmm. as it is in heaven. So it's really very much earth-focused, but a new world. I think you're getting on to something really important. A distinction that needs to be made uh, among certainly Catholic minds, but even just Christianity in general, that... Um, that and this is, you know, John 3.15 is in the Gospel this, this evening for mm -hmm. daily Mass. For God so loved the world, world, right? And I think that one of the things that we, I think, has infiltrated our minds, we feel like the, you know, the world is evil, bad. Well, no, the power of sin and death is what's evil and bad, right? And not this is not of God, but that God is coming to get His world back. To use the uh, kind of the analogy of Father John Ricardo, um, that He's coming, He's coming back for His world to recreate it. But He's not. It's not just like it's all, you know. We have, I think we get in this rut where we think that God, he, the world's terrible, the whole world's awful, and there's nothing good about it. We just got to, you know, grit our teeth and try and be holy and then, you know, get out of here, right. you know, so that, that hopefully we'll be on the good side when, you know, the world's just, you know, blown up in a big fireball. You know, I said, you know, that would mean that Christ is... Um, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the word, kind of um, abdicating or at least um, surrendering, rather. He's surrendering to the the, the evil. Yep. He's saying, okay, yeah, I surrender. Right. I'm, I'm not. You you get the world, right? And I think we get confused on that where, you know, uh, the devil is the prince of this world and he does have power and authority limited, you know, in this life, that, in, in the world that we live in. Yes, that's true. The battle's for our souls. But the world is still good. And we are good, and I think that we have to understand, even as human persons, I am good. I'm not, in my essence, evil. I'm good, but I'm fallen. I'm the image of God. It's distorted, but I'm, we're good. And at the core of God has created us good, and, you know, and the world is still good. You know, and so the, the resurrection is saying, you know, I'm not, I didn't, you know, burn off my old body and my old life and create a whole new, no, non, it was, it a disjointed, was, a disjointed yeah. resurrection. Like this body has nothing to yes. do with the body I just had, mm -hmm. but it's 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 a, it's just a transformation. Yes. So that that God is coming for the world. This world is going to be transformed. So when you say heaven is coming to earth, right? To understand that the power of that statement is that it's not just when we talk about the mass. It means no, he's he's coming and invading this world. Yes. To transform it, not to not a uh, not, like an, not, an not an evacuation. Right. Like okay, everybody get on board. Let's get out of here before this thing blows. Yes. You know. Yeah, and the, and the Jews understood. Look, God I'm... created the world, the material world, as good. 
And God is not going to just dispense what he has created. Now, sin and death have disfigured his good creation. Mm. And that is why the bodily resurrection matters so much, because God showed his defeat of death in raising Jesus bodily from the dead. That's what proved here that and now God, in this, yes, in this, in this world. world. If 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 it were just if the disciples would have gone around saying Jesus' spirit has gone to heaven, uh, everything's going to be fine, and we're going to go into the next world, that would have not struck anybody as news. That would have made everybody yawn in boredom because there were variations of some belief in, in the afterlife, even in the Greek world. But what they went around saying is that no, Jesus is bodily alive from the dead which means God has proven himself in Jesus to be truly more powerful than death because what does death take from us? The body. It kills the life of the body. And now by raising Jesus bodily, God has triumphed over the power of death. And the promise is that God will triumph over the power of death for all of us because what happened to Jesus, the New Testament says, will happen to you at the last day when the new creation comes in full and there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sin, there will be no more death for all of us and we will dwell forever with the Lord here in the, in the new earth. Let me ask you this. Why, what do you think it is that makes... I mean, the challenge of the preaching of the resurrection is a real thing, but, you know, it just seems, you know, like we, we become bored with that. Or that, that why, doesn't, why doesn't what we are saying here light us on fire and get us really excited? Like, what's, we must be, there's an obstacle or something. You know, I feel like we, we, this, 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 for the resurrection of Jesus was the, um, the power. Mm-hmm. Um, that drove those apostles to build the church and go and be martyred and go out there. And I mean, the power of the resurrection was the single force, you know, it seems to me, that drove and drives the church still. Yes. I mean, so so if we're in a malaise, you know, kind of glossing over with our faith or, you know, it seems that we have to we have to delve into what it means that Christ has risen from the dead to, to be revived. This is... This is so I think we've dumbed it down over the years, and I think it's very hard for us to reconcile because death looks, from our perspective, so final. Mm. It just looks so final, like God was, is going to raise that, my yeah, grandmother's body, yeah. my body. And so we've turned it into the Greek system of a spirit going to heaven when you die. That's true for now, <laughs> but those spirits, the souls of our loved ones, the souls of the saints— um, will be reunited with their now dead bodies and God will raise them and they will be risen as the Lord is risen because the Lord has his body now. And I think it's just very hard for us to really believe that that's true. Um, but that's exactly what the, the, the disciples and the apostles were announcing is that the new creation is happening. And Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. If you look at the Greek, a lot of the biblical translations will say, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. That's not what Paul says. Paul actually says, if any is in Christ, colon, new creation. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have entered a whole new space, a whole new way of being, and you're already living now in that new world that has not yet fully come yet, but has started through the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And then that has to be the source, I think, of some of the joy we oh, should yes. find. You know, that I, <clears throat> that maybe the issue is we just are tempted to think nothing's really ever going to change. That's right. You know, the world is still just all bad news, and it's death and violence and sin and death just continue to predominate. But that um, to understand that, no, we are being made into a new creation now 
right. you know, that in, in stages and gradually and painfully, mm-hmm. gradually, you know, that our Lord is, he's really slow and steady with a lot of us. Sometimes we're just hard headed yeah. and stiff necked in many ways, but to, I think it has to, we have to come to that re- realization that no, what happened at the vigil, the Easter vigil, let's just go back to that experience is that none of that was symbolic. I mean, there were symbolism all over mm-hmm. the place and there, there is symbolism in the sacraments. You know, there, it, there is that reality, but things really changed that night for those 13 people and really for all of us, you know, in, in that um, we encounter Christ at the Mass, the risen Jesus, and that we have this opportunity to continue to be transformed. Um, is that another, we're just, this is a Pauline day, I think, but, uh, you know, we, we see uh, in a mirror but dimly. Mm-hmm. And then doesn't he also say that we'll, um, our bodies will be, you know, we are being changed from We're glory being changed to even glory. now. But he also says that if the spirit of Christ, who, if the spirit <clears throat> who uh, raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then, Christ, then that spirit will also uh, raise your mortal bodies as he raised Christ. So, yes, the new world has started. So um, but we're, all, we're running out of time, but I want to talk about some other implications. So we talked about how the resurrection uh, declared Jesus to be the, the divine son of God. It vindicated him. He is who he says he is. Second, it started the, the new creation. But third, it also meant for the early apostles that Jesus really is the Lord and king of the universe. He and no other. And that was actually the sum of what the, of the kerygma, the early preaching of the apostles. They went out now. They hit the street saying, Jesus really is the Lord. And it was the resurrection that declared that to be true in an age in which Caesar was considered to be Lord. So it really had some political implications. But Christ is the king. He really is the Lord of Lords. And in the resurrection is the proof. Yep. And that's, you're saying that now, and I'm thinking of the, again, the vigil, when we bless the Easter fire and light the Paschal candle, and then, um, you know, there's the special prayers of blessing, and I guess, I don't know if you call it a consecration, but the priest is doing different things, signing, and he, you know, at one point he's supposed to trace and cut the Alpha and the Omega, you know, in, in there, and that's, you know, that's right to Revelation. I'm the first and the last, mm-hmm. the beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega, that, you know, that, that is the decoration that all time, you know, is the Lord is King of the universe of all time. Everything is He has authority on on every realm yes. of creation. Um, you know, so that that's the leading moment of the vigil is we're leading off right away with this reality that yeah. that God is the beginning and the first, the beginning, and the end, the first, and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And that means, and what the apostles try to do is, is like, look, Jesus Christ is going to rule in the new creation. That world is coming to be. Remember, His resurrection was the first fruit. It was the launch. It's going to come to pass. So therefore, you've got to live under his rule now or otherwise when he returns and claims creation for himself, it will not be good news for you. Yeah. It will not be good news. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost as if the the apostles realized it's like when we have an election for the president and you know, those uh, two months between November and November and there's, it's like the president elect and things begin to shift a little right. bit. It's as if Easter declared Jesus to be the true Lord, but he's the Lord elect. <laughs> you know, and we've got to get ready for his rule. And and so that really sent the disciples out on the out into the streets to get people prepared for the rule and for the lordship of Christ over which reality. will be the second coming. That will be right. the second. He's the Lord now. Yep. He's just not the Lord for everybody. 
Right. We don't see him ruling in, in his place and position of power in this world, but it shall. And that's a good. And he shall. That's a good point to clarify too. I think people need to understand the second coming is very real, but that you know this this is there's an opportunity, an abundance of grace and mercy for each human person in this time unknown. We don't know how long it will be, but when that Christ comes again, it will be the end. Period. You know, uh, there will not be any more time to get it together, make my amends, turn my life around, make my declaration of faith. Mm-hmm. Because when he comes at that moment, that's the end. There's not, there's no more in between time. So he ascends his throne. He's, he's Lord of everything, and you know, hell is sealed off, and you know, the battle is over. Mm-hmm. I mean, totally over. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's important for people to recognize that um, when you die. You don't have time to keep working it out, right? You know, and that you might be, you know, being purified in purgatory, but that's God's mercy there too. That you know, we this is the time to we have to choose. Is he? Is he my Lord and my God? I mean, that's that's it. You know, and if there's a, a, some of that in people when they die, then maybe purgatory is. But we we have to really allow heaven to invade us now, you know, and not and not. Figure well, I'll probably be in purgatory, right. or you know, I'll work it out all later. So, you know, this is the risen Lord is impacting our lives now. He's breaking through now. Today's the day, you know, um, to to always choose Him. I think I've used the language of um, speaking of language. I, I've used the analogy of if you knew for a fact that in ten years the entire world will be speaking Latin again and you will not be able to survive or, or engage in commerce unless you know Latin. What are you going to start doing now? Well the right answer is well I'll start learning Latin right. I'll start learning Latin now. I want to learn the language. Okay. So my analogy is when Christ comes in all of his fullness, we're all going to be speaking his language. And so what you see Paul and the disciples urging through their epistles is learn to speak the language of Jesus now because when he comes in, in, in full power, you want to be able uh, to understand what his language is. Otherwise, it will be terrible for you. You won't be able to operate in that new world. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So what the church is about is helping us learn the new language. To prepare us. And to prepare yeah. us for the coming rule of Christ. Yep. And he is going to uh, rule in this world. Otherwise, if it was just about spirits going to heaven for all eternity, why would he need to come back? If you really think of it, why would he need to return? Well, he's returning because he created the world uh, to be a tabernacle and temple of God. And he's going to return in power to make sure that that's going to be the case well, he comes without with, sin and without death. He comes, he's coming back to take the world back. Is what he's, he's yes. Gonna, I think that's another point to be made is that it's not to come blow the world up. No, no, you know, no. It's like I, no, to I'm make the world what it was supposed to be. And that's it's it. Yeah. So he's going to drive out yes. from the world the, fully the power sin and death. Won't well, God, any, any any more freedom to operate. Well, God had told Adam, you know, your vocation, Adam, is to exercise dominion over creation, dominion, dominus, king. Be a king over creation. Adam was a failed king, but the new Adam declared to be son of God as Adam was the son of God and his resurrection, he will rule the world as king rightly. And he's ruling uh, the world as king rightly now just in the, under the guise of bread at this mm, point. Yeah. But soon we will see him face to face. So we got one more. So we've got the resurrection meant for the first century. Jesus is the son of God. He really is who he says he is. He's divine. The new creation project that God promised the prophets, it has started. It has launched. 
Uh, number three, Jesus really is the Lord. We have uh, an obligation to announce that he really is the ruler and shall rule over the creation and power. But the fourth thing, and there are 10 other things we can talk about, is that God hates death. Mm -hmm. The resurrection really does mean that death is God's enemy. And you had mentioned this in a homily a few weeks ago, that, that death, we think of death, that God needs to use death to work his purposes in the right. world. But the resurrection was God's definitive no right. to the power of death. Maybe comment on that a, mo a moment. Yes. I mean, I, th I mean the resurrection, um, I mean, to leave the tomb empty, you know, and leaving behind all the things that even showed death, the burial cloths, and your body be not there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's there's no more definitive defeat of death than the resurrection. That's right. So it has to be seen that way if you know if we really believe in Christ that you know He's not here to make peace with death or collaborate with death or they're going to be allies for a little while. You know um, that you no, know, this is a war. And he came as a warrior, and he he and he defeated death through humility, which in Paul the the, the great Christological hymn in Philippians, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, so that he humbled himself to be crucified. Right, so let deaths literally devour him and swallow him up, and then from the inside, Christ rises and punches through, and mm -hmm. and just breaks through that. Unbreak in our minds, unbreakable barrier. Well, it was unbreakable until Christ. Like we, no one could pass through that, except Christ. You know, and so He does come to just He destroys death uh, because it's an enemy. It is the, the final, enemy. the final enemy. Well, I mean, so many people, I guess, in secular culture, they reduce all religions to a way to help us cope with the existence of death. But that's mm -hmm. not the Christian way. The, I mean, maybe there are other religious systems out there that help make death familiar to us, to reconcile it to us. Well, it's got meaning, it gives life meaning, and then when we die, this will happen. But Christianity is the one religion, I don't even like to use the word religion, um, for which death has no meaning at all. It has stripped death of all of its meaning, um, and that God wants to completely eliminate it. It, it is... I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And he's talking there when the fullness of the new creation comes, when Christ returns in power. But I love the language. Death is God's right. enemy, yeah. according to the New Testament. Right. And I think that, that we should not try to be okay with it. Th that's right. Yes. You know, I think that, I mean, we have to deal with the grief, you know, on some level. Sure. But we, we get too much in the talk about, well, you've got to get over it and move on and all that. And, and, and you know, this is part of God's plan. You know, and and you know, we sort of have to accept it. It's like you know, we should be. God needed another angel. Yeah, yeah. we should be angry. It's okay to be angry at death, and you know, and because God doesn't like what it he it does to us, and with Lazarus, like the weeping and the grieving and the heart wrenching moments of life when you lose a loved one. You know, I mean that Jesus doesn't like this. I mean it it does. God is not okay with this. Right. You know, um, and so. He's coming to destroy death. Right? And he has and so, started that process in the raising yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. And so it means doesn't mean, well, then we don't have to die. I mean, no, we're going to, we have to, death becomes now the transition, mm -hmm. the uh, the turnstile, you know, I guess you <laughs> yes, want to say that, yes. that we go through, you know, to enter into the unending life, which is either glory or damnation. Mm -hmm. But we are going to be living 
endlessly and, in one reality or the other. And bodily, too. Ultimately. And bodily, yeah. So I think it's really important to recognize, like, we're, there's not, no one's exempt. If you live and exist in the, and you're human, you're going to die and you're going to pass into an unending unending life, an mm-hmm. unending, you know, heaven, Lee glory, or eternal damnation. Right. You know, and so that's where that's where it's going to be, you know. And then so, at the end, the, our bodies will be raised right. as Christ's bodies were right. raised. But Christ allows yeah. death to not be the last word, that you can have unending joy, happiness, and life without suffering in the next life, yes. which is now possible because of the risen Jesus. You know, but if that's not, if he's not my Lord, my God, I'd rather not. You know, then you have that freedom too, right? Because he is the Lord, right. objectively Lord, not just of right. our hearts, but he is objectively Lord now through the resurrection over all of creation. Which means this is really news. It's yep. gospel. It is good news. Yep. And news is something that we would not know unless someone told it to us. And I think that the church today has a a, a, a wonderful responsibility. It's wonderful because it's good to really reclaim the newness, the news of the gospel. It's good, but it's also news. And when people hear this, wow, new creation, he's the son of God, it's the vindication of Jesus, death really is God's enemy, that strikes me as news. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Father, for this uh, great discussion on the resurrection. I think, you know, next time we talk, it might be good to talk about why do you believe that the resurrection is true, that it happened in history, some of the proofs that you find convincing uh, that authenticate the resurrection. So everyone, thank you so much for watching. If you uh, wanna visit our website, stmccg.org. If you've got a question for us, please send it to, uh, to me, Shane. You can find my email address on the website, but thank you so much for listening and for watching and God bless you. God bless.